Well, good morning. Morning. How many of you remember uh, the complexity of folding an actual map, right? And the frustration that would arise from that. Well, before the days of Waze and Google Maps, uh, if you had to go from one point to the next and you didn't know how to get there, you would have to use an actual map, right? And the way that you would actually do that is uh, you would have someone typically, if you're going with someone else, they would be riding shotgun. Uh, because they would be holding the map and they would be kind of helping you go from one place to the next. Now, if you uh, weren't that good at receiving directions uh, or didn't have enough faith or confidence in your shotgun uh, navigator, you would open up the map before you left and you would kind of remember where to go, right? Just like you remember phone numbers, you would remember directions. Uh, unfortunately, I think we've gotten stupider over, <laughs> over the years, but you know, you'd remember, you know, our brains could actually do that, right? So you go I-40 and, you know, 65 and go here or there and, and you'd be able to get to where you want to go. Well, I remember when Christina and I were newlyweds, uh, we were in Toronto visiting her family. Now, Toronto is, uh, it's, a, it's a huge city. I, I've never lived there. We've just visited. I mean, some parts on the freeway would be eight lanes wide. And the, the highway system is pretty complex because they have an express freeway and they have a collector's freeway. And basically, if you wanted to get off like five miles down the road, you would have to remember to exit the express to go on the collector's freeway like a couple exits before the exit would come up. And then you would get on the collectors and then you would be able to exit. So I remember, you know, we were trying to navigate through Toronto. Christina's riding shotgun and she'd be like, hey, so exit 53 is coming up in, you know, five miles and exit 53 is coming up in, you know, in, 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 you know, I mean, in Canada, you'd say kilometers. So, you know, in a couple kilometers and exit 53 is coming up again. And oh, look, exit 53 is right here. And that's kind of how it would be. She would just repeat herself over and over and over again. So I was like, Christina, like, you don't, I'm not stupid. Like you gotta, I mean, just say it once. All you gotta do, I didn't say it with that tone, <laughs> right? But I was frustrated. I'm, I'm pretty smart. You know, I can, you know, understand direction, suggest. I'll remember and I'll take the exit. Well, I missed the exit. Uh, <laughs> it was so bad. Oh, man. I wanted to so desperately say, oh, I, I was just going to go a different way anyway. Right? I know where I'm going, you know, but I couldn't because it was Toronto. And I didn't know how to go around anywhere. So she just, she like, we missed the exit and she didn't say a thing. She was just waiting for me to respond and see what I would say. And man, I, I deserve that. I did. I'm, I'm pretty stubborn. And, and early on in my marriage, uh, God was teaching me. He began teaching me the importance of admitting need. Uh, of Still today, of admitting that I don't have it all together and of admitting the fact that I can't do it on my own. Well, last week, Len at our Mount Juliet campus and Scott here at our Two Rivers campus kicked off our new series on choices by introducing the series and, and why the series matters. Now, in short, the series matters because every day we make choices, right? Some are wise, others are impulsive. Some choices that we make can lead us to freedom, while others can entrap us in hurtful patterns. 
Some choices can lead to a blessed life while others to a meaningless one. So over the next eight weeks, every week here on Sunday and in our life groups, we're going to cover a choice that each of us can make that will lead us into an experience that Jesus intended, into experiencing the life that Jesus wanted us to experience, a life that is free of, of, of the hurts that haunt our hearts, a life that is free from the hangups that cause us pain, and a life that is free from the habits that mess up our lives. So today, we're going to be making that first choice, uh, you know, in the eight, that, that same type of choice that I learned early on in marriage, and I'm still learning today. It's about admitting need, right? Admitting need and realizing that I am not God. It's the reality choice. So while we might all be quite different in upbringing, culture, and preferences, the fact is no matter who you are or where you were born or what you've done, we all share three things, right? We share hurts that haunt our hearts. We share hangups that cause us pain. And we share habits that mess up our lives. Now, if you uh, bought that book, the, not the study guide, the orange one, but if you bought the white one, there's a quick inventory at the beginning of that book, Life's Healing Choices. And let me share uh, if, or just kind of ask a few of these questions. I want you to answer to yourself whether or, not you, uh, you know, whether or not you struggle with these questions. Do you ever stay up late when you know you need to sleep? Oh, Netflix, right? I mean, it's just oh, so painful. Uh, do you ever eat or drink more calories than your body needs? Uh, do you ever feel you ought to exercise, but you just don't? Uh, do you ever know the right thing to do, but you just decide not to do it? Or how about this? Do you ever know something's wrong? Like, you know it's wrong. Like, and you know, like, without a shadow of doubt that it's wrong, but you just do it anyway? Or have you ever known you should be unselfish but you just decided to do what you wanted to do <laughs> anyway and be selfish instead? Or have you ever tried to control somebody or something and found them or it to be uncontrol uncontrollable? Now, if you didn't answer yes to all of those, you're a liar, uh, <laughs> right? And you need to, like, you need to be up here uh, because those are, those are honest questions that, I mean, it's choices that we make. Right? It's choices that we make uh, every single day and things that we struggle with. Right? And, and if you think about all the things that you struggle with, um, I'm going to actually, we're going to have a big list here on the screen and we're going to walk through each and every one of these. Because if you look at every single one of the choices that are about to come up or the feelings that we have struggled with, uh, just kind of think about what you did to, or what choice you made to cause this to happen in your life. All right, let's look at the first one, stress, right? Have, does stress continue to pop up in your life? Uh, do you struggle with stress? Do you struggle with any sort of fears? Uh, do, you, do you struggle with overwork or maybe inappropriate attractions? Or how about addictions, regrets, losing weight or, you know, what kind of choices are you making or have you made that have caused you to struggle with uh, issues like these, right? How about worry or, or, or bad habits? Or what about anger, right? Anger, dishonesty, which one of these do you 
struggle with the most that which one of these things continue to come up in your life maybe it's the need to control or how about finances you always find that you're short at the end of every month and you just struggle with paying your bills or how about relationships maybe there are painful memories that just continue to pop up perfectionism maybe resentment compulsive thoughts what are the choices that you're making once these issues come up? And what choices have you made that led to these coming up in the first place? Now, in Romans chapter 7, uh, I love what it says in Romans 7 because it's just, it's, it so aptly describes what we are talking about right here. And I'm actually going to be reading it to you from the, mes- from the message paraphrase uh, because Eugene Peterson here just puts it so well. I can anticipate the responses, the response that is coming. I know that all God's commands are spiritual, but I'm not. Isn't this also your experience? Yes. I'm full of myself. After all, I've spent a long time in sin's prison. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another, doing things I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary, but I need something more for if I know the law, but still can't keep it. And if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I just do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything, and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I'm pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. Let me repeat one of the verses here. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way and then I act another. Anyone know what I'm talking about here? Doing things I absolutely despise. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. Romans 7.15 in the, in the CSB translation puts it like this. For I do not understand what I'm doing because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. These verses, it's important that we understand here in Romans chapter 7, that these verses aren't Paul describing his life before he met Christ. Right? These verses, 
this struggle that Paul is describing where he's like, I, I, I want to do something, but I can't do it. I, I, I kind of want to do it, but I, I can't do it. And this struggle that he keeps on wrestling with is not his life before Christ. He's not describing his life without the Holy Spirit. He's describing what he is working through and struggling with as a follower of Christ filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, get this. Paul, one of the greatest apostles who actually met Jesus, struggled with making the right choices. Now, if he struggled with making the right choices, who are we to expect not to have a struggle? Right? He struggled. We're talking about eight choices. We're going to be walking through the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. And what we recognize here is that Paul struggled with this very first choice that we're going to be talking about. Paul admitted here in these verses, in his entire rant, he admitted the first choice that he needed God. Right? It's that reality choice. He admitted in, this very, in these very verses that he was powerless to control his tendencies to do the wrong things, that he was powerless. And he admitted the fact that without Christ, his life was unmanageable. How many of you can relate with that? Right now in Matthew chapter five, we read the greatest sermon ever preached. And in this, uh, at the beginning of Matthew chapter 5, we're actually going to be digging into the first few verses, otherwise known as the Beatitudes. So let's take a look at the first few verses here, and then we'll focus in on verse 3. When he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. So be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven for that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now it's easy to think that in these verses here in Matthew 5 and in the eight choices that we're going to be making over these next eight weeks, it's really easy to read this and to just expect that, hey, if I want to be accepted by God, I need to do these things. It's easy to think that, right? It's easy to think and read, you know, verse 3 and say, okay, I, I have to be poor in spirit to be accepted by God. Right? It's easy to assume that that's what this is saying. It's easy to think, hey, if I mourn, right, I, I, that I need to mourn, that I need to be humble, that I need to hunger and thirst for righteousness so that God would love me. Right? It's easy to make that connection there to say, okay, I need to do these things so that God will forgive me. 
right? It's easy to think that I need to be merciful, that I need to be pure in heart, that I need to be a peacemaker, that I need to be persecuted so that I can finally experience freedom from my sins. But friends, that can't be further from the truth. The things that we do and the things that we don't do do not earn us acceptance by God. Those of us who have confessed Jesus as our Savior are accepted by God because Jesus has paid the price. Because Jesus has taken the punishment for our sins and because Jesus has risen in victory. Our acceptance of, you know, from God is as a result and, and a result because of the choices that Jesus made for us. And the only choice that we need to make is to accept that and to recognize that. So the choices that we're going to be making today, the choices that we're going to be making over these next eight weeks, these beatitudes that we are going to be unpacking, these are things that we get to do because we've already been accepted by God. There are things that we get to do because the choice to follow God has already been made. Now, if you've not yet made that choice to follow God, it's a simple choice where you say, Lord, I need you. And we can talk a little bit more about that at the end of our service today. But these choices that we're going to be making today are choices that we can make so that we can live a fuller life. The choices that we're going to be making over these next eight weeks will allow us not to earn our salvation, but so that we can actually experience the blessed life that Jesus promises us. Right? These choices that we are making are choices that will allow us to walk in the life that Jesus wants us to walk in. Because I know that there are many of us who our relationship with God is fire insurance. That's all it is. And you just come when you want to come. You just open up the Bible when something's going wrong. And you just come here because you've always come. And friends, the life that you are living, the struggles, the hurts, the, the habits, the hangups, and the, the hurts that we read on this screen here, the list of that, if you are experiencing that, you are not experiencing the life that Jesus wants you to experience. When you accept Jesus as your savior, you aren't rid of all of those hurts, hangups, and habits that we read on that screen. It's not an automatic disappearance of those things. When you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's a decision to begin walking in new life. And the choices that we make, the choices that we're going to be making over these next eight weeks are going to help you begin walking in the freedom that Jesus wants you to walk in. So let's camp out a bit on that very first choice that reality choice that we're going to be making today in verse 3, chapter 5, verse 3 of Matthew. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. What does that mean? What is, what is this verse really about, right? What is God calling us to in this verse? Is he saying that, a blessed life can only come when we are in poverty? 
Is he saying that a blessed life, that you can only truly experience God's blessing if you're in a financial, if you're in a state of financial hardship? Right? Is that what it means to be poor? Or is Jesus referring to a state of depression where the emphasis is not so much on poor, but it's more on spirit? So is, is Jesus saying that, hey, you're blessed if you're faint-hearted. You're blessed if you've experienced depression. You're blessed if you're working through that, struggling through that, or if you have a sense of inadequacy. Is that what Jesus is talking about in this passage here? I mean, what does it mean when you put those words together? And, it, you know, it's like poor in spirit. What does that mean? Now, if you are experiencing financial hardship right now, or if you've, ha- if you've experienced financial hardship in the past, you know that God often uses those experiences to do a deep work in our heart. Right? He uses those experiences to refine us spiritually and help us understand that, hey, God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. God is our heavenly provider. Just as he provides for the flowers of the field and the birds in the air, he, how much more does God care about us, his children? And God often uses financial hardship to remind us of that, to remind us that he is our heavenly provider and that he is the one that's going to provide us with our daily bread. But this passage is actually talking a lot more than that. Now, while depression, faint-heartedness, having a sense of inadequacy can be a way to look at this phrase, poor in spirit, these descriptors, a life of continual faint-heartedness, a life of continual depression, a life of continual inadequacy, that's the antithesis to the blessed life that Jesus wants us to live. That's the antithesis to a life of freedom from our hurts, hangups, and habits. So what is this verse talking about? Right? What is this verse talking about here? What does it mean to be poor in spirit and why does this matter? Well, those who are poor in spirit are individuals who recognize that there's nothing that you can do to earn God's love. That's who the poor in spirit Blessed are those who recognize that there's nothing that you can do to earn God's love. If we go another level deeper, the poor in in spirit understand and admit that they are not God. Right? The poor in spirit understand, hey, I am not God. Right? That is who Jesus is talking about here. Because the poor in spirit understand, actually, that the, the greatest temptation we experience as humans is to be our own God. That is what the poor in spirit recognize, that, that our greatest temptation is to place ourselves on the throne of our lives, to place ourselves and to see ourselves as the master of our lives and, 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 the, and the captains of our ship. So the poor in spirit recognize that that is this living life on our own accord and with our own grip and with our own decisions and our volition and our will. The poor in spirit recognize that this is our greatest struggle and they confess, they open up their hands and they say, here I am, Lord. Though I think I know better, you actually know better than me. So here I am, have your way in me. Here I am, send me. The poor in spirit, that is their prayer. 
In fact, the poor in spirit pray with the psalmist in, one, in, in Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Right? The poor in spirit, we've talked about bless. Right? Begin with prayer, listen, eat, serve, and story. That those are a, a, an easy way for us to begin living this life that God has called us to and being salt and light here in, in, in Donaldson and Nashville in this area. But the poor in spirit wake up in the morning. And they pray on a regular basis, Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Right? That's, the, that's the prayer for those who are poor in spirit. Because the poor in spirit recognize and they admit that they are powerless to control their tendencies to do the wrong things. The poor in spirit recognize that it is way too easy to get caught up in the hurts, the hangups, and the habits that prevent us from experiencing the life that God has called us to do. So the poor in spirit admit that they can't, that they are powerless to prevent themselves from getting caught up in the hurts that haunt our hearts, the hangups that cause us our pain, and the habits that mess up our lives. In other words, the poor in spirit admit that their life is unmanageable. The poor in spirit admit that their life is unmanageable. Now, you might be going through a period of your life where you're like, well, no, I kind of agree with that, but my life is really manageable. I mean, it's great. It's, it's going like this, and this is how I spend my weeks, and you know, it's going like this. And, and maybe you feel like God has already blessed you. Maybe you feel like everything is manageable. Well, the poor in spirit recognize that there are going to be times when you feel that way, but those times are actually fleeting on this side of eternity. So the poor in spirit recognize that in light of the fact that ultimately our lives are not manageable for us, they're basically saying, okay, I recognize that while it might seem like I can control everything really well right now, ultimately I can't, and I need to allow the Lord to go before me. Right? The poor in spirit admit that their lives are not fully controllable by themselves. On one hand, the poor in spirit also recognize that they can't control other people as well. If you're a parent, you know that it's really hard to let your children go. Now, I'm not a, you know, all three of my kids live at home right now. I, I can't imagine uh, the, the heartache and maybe also the celebration when the kids go off. Uh, you know, I'm, I, I've heard it's kind of a mixed feeling, right? There is sadness, but there's also a sense of freedom. Uh, but here, here's what we need to understand. Even when my kids go away for a night or, or go away for a couple hours, it's hard for me to let them go because I want to protect them. Right? I want to protect them. I mean, I raise them up. I've, I've known them their entire lives. I've prayed for them. I've cared for them when they were sick and when they're happy. I mean, we've moved multiple times and, and they're my children. And it's hard for me when they're about to go into a bad situation or a situation that is not going to be a good one, that it's hard for me not to just sweep them up and protect them, right? It's hard. But what's interesting about this 
is that the poor in spirit, if you're a parent, the poor in spirit, and, and you are poor in spirit, this is what you recognize about your children, right? Poor in spirit parents recognize that they are not owners, but they are stewards of their children, right? That's what it means to be poor in spirit as a parent. Now, I know if you still live at home, you might just be singing hallelujah right now and be like, you just said that you're, you, can I just tell my parents that you are not my owner? <laughs> right? It's like, are you, are you saying that I can write that on my window now? And every time I get in a, 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 you know, an argument with my parents, I can just say, you are not my owner. You are just stewarding me. You know, that's not what I'm recommending because that's not going to go. Yeah, it's not going to go well. Uh, I can see parents being like, yep, don't ever try that at home. <laughs> right? And as much as parents might not ever say, you, I own you. Right? I mean, that just sounds weird, right? Uh, as much as you might not say that, it's this love that you have for your children that you just want to protect them. Right? But the poor in spirit recognize that just as they are powerless to control every aspect of their own life, they are actually also powerless to control every aspect of their children's lives. Right? Now, if you're in a relationship with another person, if you're dating them or married or engaged, or maybe it's a, um, it's a, it's a relationship, a struggling relationship you have with a sibling or with a parent or a coworker, you recognize if you are poor in spirit, you recognize that there is no way that you can ever experience ultimate fulfillment from another person. No matter how it might feel initially, like the other person completes you or the other person, you know, is, is everything that you have been longing for. The poor in spirit recognize that though that, might, that though that feeling might come initially, they are going to be let down. Because there is no person on this side of eternity that can ultimately satisfy you like your soul is longing for. And individuals who recognize that they are the ones who are blessed, right? That is what this passage is talking about. Individuals who are poor in spirit are blessed because they recognize that this life is temporary and fleeting in light of eternity. These individuals, the poor in spirit are blessed because they recognize that they don't need to act on their own accord anymore, but can instead wait for God to act and intervene on their behalf. Ultimately, the poor in spirit are blessed because they recognize that the burden, all the burdens that we read on the screen here, you know, the burdens of their hurts, their hangups, and their habits, the poor in spirit recognize that when life is lived like this, that ultimately those burdens are not actually on their shoulders, but Jesus wants to carry them for you. Now, Jesus says in Matthew 11, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, right? Jesus is inviting each of us to say, hey, today, will you make the choice to give me your hurts, your hangups, and your habits, right? Jesus is inviting you and he's saying, hey, salvation is one thing, but I want to now allow you and, and help you walk into this life of freedom from your hurts, hangups, and habits that I've been longing for you to live in all of these years. And maybe you've, you feel dry in your relationship with God, 
Maybe you feel helpless in your relationship with God and, and this is more like you're just go- walking through the motions and walking through the, the everyday and you're like, well, I guess this is what it's like when you grow up. I guess it's not really exciting anymore. I guess I, guess I, I can't really experience joy like I used to experience. I, I guess I can't really experience freedom from my sins because you've been cultivating this hidden sin in your jacket for the last five, ten, however many years. And you've just decided to live with it and say, I guess that's life. I guess that's how it's all always going to be. And over these next eight weeks, Jesus is inviting you to say, actually, that life, I want to take that out. That life of dryness, that life of being in the desert, I don't want you to be, that is not the life that I want you to live. And over these next eight weeks, we're going to go through making eight choices to allow us to walk in freedom from that so that we can experience the life that Jesus really, truly wants us to experience here. Right? Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find Rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Friends, when we look at Matthew 5, verse 3, it says, for the, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. That latter part, the kingdom of heaven is theirs. What we need to recognize here is that the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are poor in spirit. Right? That's, that's what this is saying. The kingdom of heaven belongs to those who admit that they can't do it on their own. The kingdom of heaven belongs to those who have learned to live like this and who say, I'm going to bow down not to myself as the captain of my life, but I am instead going to bow down to the authority, to the rule, and to the reign of the one true king, Jesus Christ. Not this list of idols. No, I'm not going to bow down to greed. I'm not going to bow down to a relationship. I'm not going to bow down to anxiety. I'm not going to bow down to that list anymore. These things that have chained me up, I'm not going to bow down to them anymore. They are not my master because Jesus alone is my master. And the kingdom of heaven belongs to those people there. So let's today make a choice. Let's admit that we are not God, right? Let's admit that we are not God. I mean, let's actually, why don't you just say that with me? I am not God. I'm not God. Now, as you said that, what feeling came up in your heart? Thankfulness? Maybe other people, uh, did, did some of you feel resistance? Right, just say this with me as well. I am powerless to control my tendencies to do the wrong things. Wait, say that again. I am powerless to control my tendencies to do the wrong things. Do you believe that or is there resistance in your heart? Is that a freeing thing to say? Or are you, did you not really want to say that? Or you kind of just said it, but you didn't believe it. 
if you're feeling resistance when we worship together, as Aaron and the worship team come up in, in just a little bit here, when we worship together, I want you to give that to God and say, Lord, why do I feel resistance in that statement? Why? It's because you're living like this. And the choice that we need to make today, the reality choice that we need to make today is to admit I am weak and sheer willpower is not enough to change me. That is the choice. It's an easy choice to make today. We're going to be making some harder choices over the next few weeks here. But the very first week today is a simple choice. It's a simple choice to say, I need God. I am not God. I'm powerless to do the things that are going to set me free. I need God. I need God. Can you say that? Can you, before you leave today, admit that? Because if you do, this is a beautiful promise that we read from the scriptures in 2 Corinthians 12. My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you and my power is perfected in weakness. When you can admit that you are not God, when you can admit that you need him desperately, this is what it says. God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. God will give you grace. God will give you grace to walk in new freedom. God will give you grace and strength, not your own strength, but his strength to be free from the list of chains that are holding you back. And it all begins when we make that choice, that choice to need God. God. 